1: So we went to a stainless steel fabricator in our park and we gave him the specifications and, and they didn't meet the specifications. So, you know, he didn't deliver, okay. didn't meet the specification, And I never forget what he said. He said, he said, yeah, I know. He said, but there's not enough profit in this for me to remake it. In other words, he would not perform his vow from Psalm 15:4. He would not, as it says here, swear to his own hurt and changeth not. Now that's one application, that's one application of this reference here, forswear for swear thyself. And the other is a light use of the name of God. And you kind of step back and you think about that, what does that mean? Of course, you know, you know what it means on the surface so when people use the name of God, or even worse, the name of the Lord Jesus or Christ. But for example, Jezebel, and when she wanted to kill Elisha, and she said in 2 Kings 6.31, 2 Kings 6.31, and he said, God do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. But it's a very serious thing to use the name of God, especially when you make a promise. But you know, which is why Solomon looked at that situation and he said, here's my advice. In Ecclesiastes 5.4, Ecclesiastes 5.4, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than that thou shouldst vow and not pay. So all these warnings here, now we have the Lord making it very, very simple, and he says in verse 34, or chapter 5, verse 34, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne. And now, the Lord now goes on to speak about certain habits of speech which were in practice in his day. So this included, for example, of swearing by heaven if a person would say you know i'll do this just as sure as there's a heaven or swearing by god's throne you can count on me just as sure as god has a throne or just as sure as there's jerusalem you know jerusalem sacred city and so these were habits that had grown to be very common and god steps in and says stop it this is what he's saying here stop it don't do that you know people say things today without even giving one thought of what they're saying you know it reminds me when scott and I, I remember scott on friday night we were at the Del Mar fair we're walking to the child evangelism booth in order to get to the booth you have to go through quite a vanity fair i mean it's unbelievable as people all the lights and everything from deep fried snickers bars you know things like that and so twice as we're walking and i a little kid he says oh my god like, that, you know. And of course, you know, it's just shocking, you know. He's probably looking at the double cheeseburger with the Krispy Kreme donuts in place of the buns, you know. And you hear this for people. You hear people say, oh my gosh. Well, what's a gosh? Or gosh darn it, or golly, or dang it, or Jiminy Christmas, and more. And these are all, everybody knows what these are referring to, but these are all habits that have crept into our vocabulary, the vernacular, They're not good, they're not good. And the Lord is addressing the habits of his day and he's basically saying, don't do it, don't do it. I like Becky Workington one time when she wanted to get attention by her explanation, she goes, well, Tom, stars and stripes. (laughs) I don't know why she said stars and stripes, (laughs) but anyway, that's what she said. It's not that all swearing is bad. In the biblical sense of swearing, in other words, making an oath, because it says in 1 Kings 2.23, 1 Kings 2.23, the same Solomon who says, you know, if you're not going to do it, don't do it, don't, don't make the vow. It says there in 1 Kings 2.23, then King Solomon swear by the Lord, saying, God do so to me and more also, if Adonijah have not spoken this word against his own life. Then he killed Adonijah. And then... Uh, David said in 2 Samuel 19.13, 2 Samuel 19.13, you say, Amasa, art thou not of my bone and of my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if thou be not captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. So, you know, and then there is a verse in Deuteronomy that does command to do this in Deuteronomy 10.20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. And Paul did this in 2 Corinthians 1.23, 2 Corinthians one twenty-three. he said, moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not unto Corinth. So, in other words, the whole point is when you use the name of God, when you use these things such as the term damn, for example, which is a very serious thing, don't do it lightly. Think about it. Don't try to pawn the seriousness of some term like that in order to give some body to something else that's not known or not sure. I remember in court scenes, it was always, you put your hand on the Bible and you say, do you swear to tell the whole truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. They don't do that anymore today because God doesn't mean anything to most people today, I guess, I don't know, but anyway. So the Lord made it very simple in verse 34 when he just said, look, you know, just to be safe, I say unto you, swear not at all, either by heaven or it's God's throne. You know why people do this? because they're trying to bring a seriousness, a shock and awe to the conversation and so they'll use some foul adjective in front of something or they'll say the name of God or worse, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all designed for the shock effect you know, to bring into it and it's a common practice today and that's why. Now, the closer a person gets to God, the closer a person gets to God, the more these things are disturbing the more these things, they feel awful about it. And this we see in the life of the prophet Isaiah, this loose lips, Isaiah, worse than loose lips. So in the case of the experience of Isaiah, he had slipped in his personal life. He heard it so much around him, maybe he was saying those words, maybe he was saying those phrases, maybe it was in his heart to say it, maybe it took a hammer on his thumb, To have it come out, like Pastor Jim used to say, if you want to know what's in the glass, just shake it. And uh, he was surrounded in his life by people who spoke these foul terms. And he talks about what happened to him in Isaiah 6, verse 1. Isaiah 6, verse 1, where he said, there was this certain time, and it was the time when the king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And mine eye has seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs, with, with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. So here he is it. Isaiah has this life-changing experience. He sees God. He said he saw God. He saw God. He sees Jehovah, Jesus, and was it a? Oh, this is wonderful! I am really lost in wonder, love, and praise. I feel so happy. I am so exhilarated. I just saw God. So you're running around telling everybody that? Not at all. Just the opposite. Seeing God made him feel horrible, because the first thing that he thought of was oh no, my lips, my lips, his lips felt so dirty. His lips felt so dirty and rotten. He felt that he had dirty, rotten lips. He puts his hand over his lips and he says, oh no, my lips, my lips, I'm gone, I'm undone is the way he said, I'll be destroyed. He says in verse five, woe is me, for I am a man, for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's really something. He sees God and he feels horrible because of his sin. That's kind of a picture of what it's going to be like for every lost person in the judgment. How they're going to feel their sin has just consume them like a cancer. And this is where he is. He says, I'm a goner. My eyes have seen the holy God and I'm a man with dirty, rotten lips and I dwell on the people with dirty, rotten lips. So he's saying that he let the language around him creep into him. To the point where he was personally defiled. Maybe he was thinking that language. Maybe he was saying that language. You know, you got to think when you see something like this. You got to think about television. You got to think about movies. What's on the television? What's on the movies? What's on the so-called entertainment? Just think of what's on the TV. What's on the movies? Where all of a sudden someone will use the the highest name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a vain way or a foul language, and it gets into our heart, and it's so easy to become like Isaiah, to become a person who starts even thinking that way. We don't have such a great guard in our hearts, such a great wall to bar us from that. That happens. This is Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah's testimony, the great prophet Isaiah, who made the great prophecy of Isaiah 53. This man could not guard his heart from the foul language of creeping into his heart. How much less can we? If we watch things or see things on a television, movie and go, oh, I wish he hadn't said that. Now, why did he say that? That just crept into my house like a horrible infestation. So it's very important for us to guard. Now the good news for Isaiah and the good news for him was that a remedy came, good news came. It didn't come from him, it came from God. It came from God. In verse six, Isaiah six, verse six. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me. It was a direct to him, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs off the altar. And he laid it on my mouth and said, This hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. It was a seraphim sent by God with a live coal, which is off the place of sacrifice, off the place of the altar, and it was applied to Isaiah's lips, just like seeing the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ as the altar of sacrifice and his sacrifice applied to our individual sin. Isaiah didn't come before the Lord and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Isaiah came before the Lord and said, unclean lips is me. And the Lord just said, fine, cleanse that. Just like it says in 1 John 1.7. 1 John 1.7 says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And it goes on in verse nine and it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this was great news for Isaiah and the seraphim coming with the live coal. But the seraphim only came to Isaiah after Isaiah had confessed his sin of unclean lips. First, he had to confess his sin. If he didn't confess his sin, there's no remedy for him. No confession, no seraphim. No confession, no live coal from off the altar. No confession, no taking away Isaiah's sin and his of his unclean lips. Nothing happened without Isaiah confessing his sin. It reminds me, that's Friday, the child evangelism booth, at Del Mar Fair. The two kids came in. One's a seven-year-old brother, and then the sister, the sister, she's five years old, with their parents. So the two kids sit in front of me parents stood on the sidelines, the umpires. Anyway, so they said, right in the front of me, and I came to the part, you know, of all have sinned, and then I asked them, did you ever do anything wrong? Oh, instantly, both of them shook their heads, said no, and, and then they looked back at their parents with the, no, not me, I'm a good little boy. No, not me, I'm a good little girl. You know, that, those kind of looks, you know. Well, I'm stuck. I can't go on. You know, you can't go on. I mean, no, no confession, no seraphim, no confession, no altar, no confession, no taking away sin. Got to be no confession, no salvation. Without confession, no gospel. Because the only person that's saved, according to 1 Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.15, is that this is a faithful saying, worthy of all's acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to save the righteous, so I stuck. So I looked at them and I said, with my evil eye, you know, have you ever told a lie, you know, like that, you know. And the little boy, he frowns and gets this distressed look on his face, says yes. And then I turn to the little girl, I try the same thing as his sister, you know, I said, have you ever told a lie? And she goes, mm you know, looks back at her mom, See, not me, I'm good, you know. <laughs> so couldn't go on, you know. And I said, never? She goes, nope, mm-mm. You know, well, that was just like too much for her brother to sit there and hear this. So he spoke up and said, she told something that wasn't true. Now, I don't know what it was, but it was obvious that what he was referring to, she knew, because then she said, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, you know, I said, so you told a lie? She goes, mm-hmm. okay, now it could go on, then it could go on and explain the Lord Jesus died for the lies they told. And then I could go on and say, because until they admitted that they told the lies, there's no good news for them. There's no gospel for them. They had to first admit that they sinned. And that's the way it was for Isaiah. He had to admit, he had to confess that he had his, the unclean lips before he could get that live cold to take away his sin. And that's the way it was for these two little kids that were in the booth. And then when I led them in the sinner's prayer, I led them to pray, I said, I led them to pray, Please forgive me for the lies I have told and thank you for dying for the lies that I have told. No sin then no personal salvation, which is what the Lord is saying, what it says in 1 John 8, 1 John 1 1.8. 1 John 1 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is, the, this is the picture, the person who says he has no sin, this is a picture of the adulterous woman of all people, the adulterous woman in Proverbs 30, verse 20. Proverbs 30, verse 20, it says, Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. There ain't nothing wrong with what I've done. Okay, so here again, the Lord makes it very simple to not fall into this trap of swearing. And he says, he says in verse 37, just to make it simple, let your communication be yay, yeah, yay, yeah, nay, nay, whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So here the Lord, what he's saying here, he said, look, if you really want, I know what you're trying to do, you know, by using all these adjectives and by using, you know, bringing in heaven and so forth, that, is don't do that. If you want to emphasize something, just say yes, yes, and just say no, 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 that's enough, nothing more. Because if you do anything more than that, it's coming from a source. And he says in verse 37, he identifies a source. Whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Well, you know, and, and what is that evil that he's talking about? It cometh of evil. It's either our own evil nature, right? If you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, it's either coming from our own evil nature or worse, from the devil. But it's certainly not of God. Now, the Lord moves on to another misunderstanding in the law. In verse 38, they've been wrongly taught, where it says in verse 38, you have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, what's so interesting about when he says, you have heard that it hath been said, is here, you know, he says that what he did not say. He did not say, as he had with other teaching before, in fact, he has said, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. He didn't say that. He didn't say that, by them of old time, like he did in verse 32, which referred to the application of the uh, what we just talked about, third commandment, or like he did in verse 27, when he referred to the commandment to not commit adultery, verse 21, the commandment to not murder. He says, you have heard that it has been said of them of old time. But this time, he's saying it just like he said it in verse 31, it hath been said whosoever shall put away his wife, which refers to divorce, which is not of God, which is God is not for. And so here again, he starts off this verse in the same way, you have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye. So he's indicating here that what they have heard is not of God, like he did with divorce. When you read this, it stops, you say, wait a second, wait a minute, this statement, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that's in the law, that's in the Bible, it occurs in the Pentateuch, it does. It's actually there three times in Exodus 21, 24, and Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21. Deuteronomy 19, 21, for example, it says, and thine eye shall not pity, life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So if this statement, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, is found three times in the Torah, why did he not say, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, which refers to the Bible. Why did he just say, You have heard that it hath been said, which indicates that's a commandment of man, not of God? Well, the reason he said that is in the next verse 39, verse 39, and the emphasis that he's putting on I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek. And if any man, in verse 40, if any man will sue thee and take away thy coat and to let him have thy cloak. And 41, whosoever shall compel thee, verse 42, give him to asketh thee and for him that would borrow of thee. So all these personal, personal words, you know, the ye and the thee and the thy, they're showing here that the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was all being taught to them as something they should do, Very personal to the point where the teaching had degraded down to the level where it was being taught that if somebody takes your eye, you go take their eye. Somebody takes your tooth, you go take their tooth. You take the law into your own hands and this is not what Moses wrote. All of those instances of an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth were not written to the person who suffered the loss. You know, the loss of the eye, the loss of the tooth. Those three times it's written an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth are not written to the person who suffered. They're all written to the judges who were responsible for making the decisions, the magistrates. They're the ones who decided what's gonna happen to the person who took another man's eye or tooth. So the principle of the eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth also brought a certain balance Because it was a common practice among the nations around Israel that they should take more. You took my eye, two eyes for you, two teeth for you. You know, it was more. So by saying an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, God was saying to the judges, don't get overbalanced here. Just do what is fair. Don't go beyond what's fair. But the main point of what the Lord is teaching here was the teaching that the offended person should not take personal revenge. That's the issue. And the Lord's teaching that on the contrary, the offended person should forgive, should allow himself to be taken advantage of. It reminds me of my friend down in Loretto. He said his son was expelled from school for a day. Alan, I said, why? What would he do? He's a nine-year-old kid, and he said, well, there was some kid picking on him, so he went and got a stick and went after him and hit the kid with the stick. See? Okay. <laughs> I should tell him he's very. So, in other words, how do you do this? Okay, you rely on God who is allowing it to happen, and he'll deal with the offender. In the New Testament, the principle is Romans 13.3, which talks about the government. Romans 13.3, it talks about rulers. Romans 13.3 says, Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt appraise of the same. For he, this is the ruler, this is the government, this is Roman rulers, Roman government even, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. He is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So the government, not the individual, is Romans 13.4, 13, 4, the revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And as for the offended person, then the principle is Romans 12.19, the chapter before. Romans 12.19, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So what he's saying here in verse 44 but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. And Romans 12, 17 also goes on. Romans 12:17 says, recompense to no man evil. That means don't pay back. Don't pay back. Which is exactly what Solomon said in Proverbs twenty four twenty nine. Proverbs twenty four twenty nine. He said, "Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his works. According to his work. Don't go down the payback road."
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God.